Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to another edition of Your Life's Work podcast. How are you? Hope you're well. Big day for us Cubby fans as the uh, Major League Baseball starts their opening day on this day that I'm recording this, and uh, they're playing the Texas Rangers as I speak, and they're spanking them right now. So uh, we're looking forward to a good season. Hope you have a team. I hope you have a team. I hope you have somebody to root for. I hope you have something to root for, too. I really do. What's your something you root for? Have you ever thought about that? Is it a sport? Is it a tribe? Is it a community? Is it a town? Is it a house? Is it kids? Is it is it a work that you do? I hope you have something to root for. I really do. I hope you have something to get excited for because that's important. We want to get excited about stuff, man. That's all there is to it. On the big show today, we're going to be talking about uh, the man move, this impending move that the five of us are about to make from Southern California to Northeast Ohio, specifically the Akron area. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to be talking about the ego. I do um, spiritual direction workshops, and there's six in the workshop um, cohort that we do. And one of them, we stop down and we do persona and ego. And so we're going to be talking about persona and ego. And it's something that you need to know, period, end of story. A lot of us are never taught about the damaging effects of the ego and the persona. And we need to know these things. We need to know these things for not only a peaceful kind of coexistence with our people, but also a peaceful existence for yourself. And that's a big deal. And to get rid of the ego is is like the first kind of step into like living a mature uh, and, and peaceful space uh, in your life. And that's, that's a fact, Jack. In fact, in spiritual formation, as I teach people spiritual formation, as you form spiritually, the ego's got to go. That's just all there is to it. Because it kicks our ass. Jesus and his teachings taught directly to the ego. Buddha, same thing, man. All the world's major spiritual teachers uh, are teaching directly to the ego at the end of the day. Taking self and kind of cracking it in half and making sure there's a value um, for what you're doing. And not just an identity to it. Um, okay, so with that, uh, and we'll get into that in a second, but um, so the news on our side of the fence is my family. My family uh, consists of me and my wife died, married 26 years, and we have three adopted children, uh, Mia, Angel, and Zian. All of them teenagers right now. We got them when they were one and a half, three, and six, and we got them like 11 years ago, and when we got them, we were living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and for those of you listening in Michigan, you remember that, like we got three kids overnight. <laughs> That I don't remember. I don't recommend that as like a thing. <laughs> I, I mean, you you just don't know, man. When you sign up to be foster care parents uh, slash adoptees, uh, and then the agency calls you and says, "Hey, man, we got three. <laughs> it sounds cool. <laughs> it sounds cool until that first week. Uh, but we got three all at once, and we're super super grateful that we have them. And we've lived in Southern California now with them for ten years, and we've enjoyed our ten years stretch here, man, in San Diego." Um, we lived in Carlsbad for a number of years and the last two years we were up here in Fallbrook, right? Tucked up in the mountains, about 14 miles off the beach. And we, we've just, I cannot say enough about our time in San Diego over the 10 years. When we first moved here, the five of us needed an incredible amount of time to attach to one another. When you adopt kids and, uh, you, you just need time to attach. I mean, that's just how it goes. The biologicals out there, you'll know what I'm talking about because you spend nine months attaching to your children in utero, and when they pop out, there's a love affair that uh, just happens, and it's not something you have to think about, and it's been going on um, since the time you learned you were pregnant, and that kind of attachment never has like a, a start point for you. 
And when you adopt children and they come into your life, there needs to be a hell of a lot of attachment, basically time with one another. And that time with one another can look like a myriad of different things and ways. And uh, from early on, my wife and I, Diane, we got a, a real clear picture of like, we just needed time. And so part of that time was to homeschool them. Part of that time was to um, just be together. You know, we didn't homeschool because of any religious or spiritual overtones. We really homeschooled because we just really needed to get to know them. They needed to get to know us and they needed to know life was safe. And San Diego became that thing for us. And we really didn't realize that when we moved here, because when we moved here, we were coming up on an incredible, absolutely insane season. I had worked for a ministry called Triple X Church. Uh, I had uh, kind of taken a year off after that. And that uh, ministry experience is a whole nother damn story. Um, but I moved from, we got the kids in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then we moved, when my time was done with Triple X Church, we moved back to Cleveland and kind of helped the church build uh, there and just kind of took a year off and, and figured out what we were going to do. When we got to San Diego, I was working, I went back into television and uh, working for the ABC here. And again, our 10 years here was nothing but absolutely gargantuanly awesome and great. First off, the weather, it is paradise. It, it literally is 70 and sunny every day. Um, except for the occasional spot in the winter time when it gets to maybe 68 <laughs> and it, it and it clouds up and it rains every now and then and people freak out. Um, our kids grew up out here. They grew up on the beach. They grew up uh, going back and forth from San Diego to LA and and they have a million friends here. In fact, I think if you asked them uh, where home was, I would imagine all of them would say Southern California. So we're proud of that, man. Di and I are super proud of the fact that these guys have that connectivity and understand this place is home, and that's a big deal. Two years ago, Di's mother, a year and a half, two years ago, Di's mother dies uh, a very horrible, tragic, cancerous death, and she was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, and soon after, uh, like soon after, like within a month after the diagnosis, um, she had passed, and it was a a real huge trauma in 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 our life. Uh, Di's mother, Marlene, was a uh, she was a matriarch, man, and in so many ways kept us all laughing and together um, between her phone calls and her visits uh, and her musings about life uh, and her love of jazz um, and dancing. Uh, she was just an amazing quality of a person and individual and had tremendous faith and and she was wonderful but that really made us take stock like stop and understand a few things not only the value of somebody who has passed like because that's what happens right somebody dies and and you really take value of that of what it means to you what they mean to others um, but it also gives you the presence of understanding that people are just the center of your target. And that really needs to be understood. They are the center of your target. And what I mean by that is we can chase career, we can chase goals, we can chase identity and ego, you know, the framework of who we think we should be. We can even chase faith. <laughs> we can even chase the faith. But at the end of the day, the people that we surround ourselves with are so damn important. Um, because that's where life is really lived and it's lived in there and that so you know and again it's not that we don't want to live with y'all here in Southern California that's not it but it really made us value 
what's going on with my mom, what's going on with my dad, my stepmom and dad, uh, my stepsisters, um, what's going on with my brother, what's going on with Diane's brother, uh, and what's going on with this connectivity that we have to the Northeast Ohio, Michigan, slash New York, slash Midwest uh, portion of our friendships and people that uh, we've just come to miss over the last 10 years. Um, for those of you who don't know, Di and I grew up in Rochester, New York. Uh, it's on the southern mid-range of Lake Ontario in between Buffalo and Syracuse. And uh, I moved to Cleveland, and, and uh, so I've been in and out of Cleveland a million years. Uh, this will be my fourth time going back there. So that tells you a lot. It, it, you know, again, I don't think anybody goes back to Cleveland. <laughs> so it speaks to the people. I don't, I don't think there's a reason to go back. How about that? So it speaks to the people. And I say that uh, light, lighthearted for those of you who know me and know my, uh, <laughs> know my stance about Cleveland. So uh, it's people. It's people that bring us back. It's our kids being able to see grandma and grandpa uh, on Sundays. It's our kids being able to see our best friends, Di and I's best friends, uh, and understand the connectivity to them, our story to them, their story to them. It's making sure that as people get older, we are valuing not only their life, but the end of their life. It's us making sure that we are deliberately looking at people face to face and having a real connectivity as family, right? As family. And that's super, super important. And in 2019, uh, you don't find too many Instagrams dedicated to family, <laughs> dedicated to this idea of connectivity between one another. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Uh, 2019 is consumed with autonomy and, and silo-ness and, and just individualism. And not that I'm beating on individualism, but... For us, there's been a real come to Jesus, if you will, for what having people in our life means. So we pulled the trigger. So we had a two-year conversation, me and my wife, about getting out of here. And, of course, in the mix of getting out of here was like, holy crap, we're going to miss these 70-degree temperatures and the beach and the mountains and the super blooms. Uh, and for me, L.A. and San Diego have become, you know, man, I got to tell you, man, you know, one of my holy sacred places is in Los Angeles, and uh, and I mean that most sincerely. And uh, I will miss it. I will, and I will miss it. But more than that, I'll miss the people, obviously, because the people of Southern California, who not only welcomed me and my family, but welcomed me back into television, and then ultimately welcomed me into my spiritual direction practice. Um, my formative, my real formative spiritual years in the last 10 years um, have been have been really rooted here. And, they, and they've been rooted in Cleveland too. So it's just kind of funny between Southern California and Cleveland, the kind of just weird mix of sacred space that both these cities occupy. With that said, um, we'll be looking at a mid-June, um, early July move uh, back to Ohio. We're going to settle, hopefully, in a town outside of Akron, Ohio. Um, we're hoping to, Di and I already have plans on starting a retreat center there where we will buy some acreage in a house of some kind with some outbuildings and possibly put in another building um, and have you come and stay with us on retreat when you're looking for decompression space, when you're looking for silence and stillness, and when you're looking for some spiritual direction, when you're looking for some guidance. Or you're just willing to, you know, come off the digital for five seconds and just walk through the woods. Uh, 
So we're hoping to find a space for you as well as us where we can really enjoy the divine together um, in this next season of our life. I will continue going on seeing clients as a spiritual director. Um, that will not change. So all of you in Southern California, uh, I'm still in your business. And all of you in Northeast Ohio that I talk to via phone or via FaceTime, uh, look forward to seeing me face-to-face. And, of course, you on the East Coast, uh, uh, nothing's going to change. So my spiritual direction practice will only get stronger and better and bigger. Um, and uh, and I don't mean that... Uh, I don't mean that as an individual construct for me. I mean, I mean that for, for you, uh, who are my clients and who are my future clients. And I'm always very blessed and just welcoming of the trust that people give me um, to be able to journey with them. So that looks like the move. The kids are excited. Like people are always like, hey, are the kids excited? Yes, Mia can't wait to see grandma. And the, and the boys can't wait to, uh, um, you know, maybe have a space to ride a motorcycle or two. And, uh, of course there's Rob and Trish, our, our best friends are there. And, uh, so many people we cannot wait to have Sunday dinners with. And, and we're really excited for those in Southern California. I'll be back. Um, I cannot shake this part of the world to save my life. There's just no way there's too much of attachment for me here. So, uh, I really want to come back quarterly and make sure I'm visiting with people and, I, I plan on carrying on our spiritual direction cohorts and training. And for those of you in Southern California who want to do that face-to-face, we're already making plans to see if that can happen uh, and will make that happen. So uh, we'll be here. I, I don't see much time and space anymore. Like I'm in a season of my life where time and space aren't such a thing. It used to be a thing in my 20s and my 30s. But uh, now that I'm in my 50s, I just don't I don't see the time and space like I used to. I, in fact, I see it as a real deliberate movement. Like it doesn't bother me that, you know, somebody's a plane ride away or somebody's a half a world away. Like I just know that there's a, a willingness to be together. Then you'll be together at some level and point. So um, time and space isn't really a, you know, a big of a factor when, when you get into this season of life. In fact, I tend to think of it like, yes, I will see you. Yes, we'll be with, but, but that's the news. Um, and there's deep sorrow, of course. There's deep sorrow for missing the people that here in Southern California that we love. And there's uh, joy that's uh, over being with people in Northeast Ohio. There is uh, certainly a fear about what will be, what is, and what could be, uh, you know, in Ohio. And uh, um, my God, can you imagine, uh, like, after 10 years of not having snow, then having snow, like, that's a thing, we're, and that's a thing we're thinking about. So we have all these crazy emotions, and uh, I would ask that you're, if the praying sort, um, hold us up and ask God for peace. Uh, we had to sell this house here, so, of course, we're wanting, you know, certain things out of this house to get us into Ohio, so... You can be prayerful about that. And, of course, we're really, really um, wanting a wonderful, wonderful space and property in Northeast Ohio, so you can be praying for that. But um, that's the news. Um, And uh, so appreciative of everybody here um, going on there. Any questions, you can call me, uh, of course, and uh, you can help me pack (laughs) because I'm going to want you to help me pack. And if you're strong, we're going to need you to pack a – does anybody have a truck too? If you have a truck – if you have like a, a 24-foot truck, like a big U-Haul truck that you and you're in Southern California and you want to loan to me for a weekend, I would really appreciate that. So get in track. It turns out that moving across the country, like when Di and I have moved like, this will be like our 20th move in 26 years. One time we moved, it was like, I think it was like 3500 bucks to move. I think we were in uh, Minneapolis to Cleveland. It was like 3500 bucks United Van Lines. I went and got a quote 
from, I don't even know who, uh, might have been United Van Lines, I forget, but the quote came back, seven grand. Seven grand to move from San Diego to Cleveland. <laughs> $7,000. So I will be, and if you know me, that ain't happening. That's just not, even if I had the seven grand, if, if somebody gave me the seven grand to do it, I wouldn't do it, man. It's just not, it just doesn't seem correct. $7,000 to put my crap in the back of somebody's truck. That's not going to happen. So if you got a truck, I'll take it. All right, we're going to get into persona and we're going to get into ego. Um, persona, real quickly. Persona is the aspect of someone's character that is presented to or perceived by others. His or her persona, right? Persona. Uh, it's a social role or a character played by an actor. The word is derived from Latin, where it originally mean or referred to a, theorat, a, th a, th a theatrical mask, a mask, right? That's persona. That's persona. Let's just dial in on ego definitions real quick because I like the definitions. Ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. The synonyms are the like words, self-esteem, self-importance, self-worth, self-respect, self-conceit, self-image. Um, in psychoanalysis, the ego, the part of the mind that mediates between the consciousness and the unconsciousness as a responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity and philosophy, a conscious thinking subject, right? Conscious thinking subject. Um, ego is different from pride, by the way. For those of you who are thinking ego and pride are alike, pride, the definition, a feeling, or a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements or the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated. So ego and pride, ego and persona fall in line with one another, but pride is not in that mix. I know we tend to go pride and ego is the same thing. But let's just look back on the persona. So the persona, man, is we wear that mask. This is the thing that we want everybody to think we are or we want everybody to think we are or we hope people think we are. And you can do this work on your own. Like right now, I'm sure you're thinking, what is the face that I put on for other people? Are you the funny guy? Are you the smart guy? Are you the nerd? Are you the jock? Are you, you know, what, what are you putting out there? Are you the criminal? Are you the gangster? You know, are, are you the, are, what, what are you? Who, who are you to others? And how are you forwarding that look, that identity into other people's world? The ego is this constant voice that is constantly trying to put us out front. It's that voice of be number one, be the man, take care of yourself, don't ask for help, right? A lot of people, times we get like, oh, that guy's got a big ego, like the guy driving the Ferrari with the chest hair and the gold chains and all the money dripping on him, like, oh, that guy's got a big ego. That may be, but it's not necessarily so. The ego's a real construct, man. The ego's a real problem and real construct in our lives because it's so often we'll literally stop, divorce, and separate ourselves from relationships. And so I just want to make those things. Carl Jung, uh, who's a guy, great guy. If you ever want to read some crazy stuff, uh, Carl Jung, his last name is J-U-N-G, Carl, C-A-R-L. Um, Carl Jung, real smart guy, psychiatrist dude, uh, but good guy. But this is what he says about persona. He says, persona is the individual's system of adaption to or the manner he assumes in dealing with the world. Every calling of profession, for example, has its own characteristic persona. It is easy to study these things nowadays when the photographs of public personalities so frequently appear in the press, right? A certain kind of behavior is forced on them by the world. And professional people endeavor to come up with these expectations. 
Only the danger is that they become identical with their personas. Like the professor with his textbook and the tenor of his voice. But then the damage is done. Henceforth, he lives exclusively against the background of his own biography. For by that time, it is written. Then he went to such and such place and said such and such of that, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera. One could say, with a little exaggeration, that the persona is that which in reality one is not, but which oneself, as well as others, think one is. So I just want you to get this, this clearly. There's so much of the false self being bled into our relationships because of persona and ego. Because we're hoping to be loved, hoping to be liked, hoping to be not made fun of, hoping to be a part of, you know, hoping to be belonged to. And as a result, the persona and the egos lead most of our relationships. They lead most of the value of how we strike into the world. Eckhart Tolle, a spiritual teacher, says this about the ego. He says, the most common ego identifications have to do with possessions, the work you do social status and recognition, knowledge and education, physical appearance, special abilities, relationships, personal and family history, belief systems, and other collective identifications. He goes on to say, none of these is you. (laughs) None of these is you. And I would totally agree. After working with people for so long, what I've come to understand is it's much easier to fall into into a persona It's much easier to fall into an egoic structure of who you are and what you think than it is to just lean into true self because true self and the value of true self is going to mean a little stretching. It's going to mean vulnerability. It's going to mean authenticity. It's going to mean an exposure of who you are. And sometimes the exposure of who you are comes at the cost of pain because you got to look at yourself and you got to understand what's going on in you. And sometimes it just starts with you and your buddy talking or you and your friend talking over coffee and really understanding how much damn work it is to put this ego and the persona out. For me, it was exhausting. I've told you before about Drunk Funny Guy, and if you want to look that up in the podcast, if you haven't heard it, it's called Drunk Funny Guy, where I talk about me being drunk and me being funny or me being both drunk and funny was a real persona and a real identification for me. It got me through the day. It helped me think you were liking, loving me, and it helped me think I was belonging. And I tell the story, and I haven't really haven't told this story, but uh, way back in the day, I used to belong to an organization called the National Press Photographers Association. And I used to go to a lot of NPPA conferences. And when I'd go to those conferences, I would drink myself to oblivion. And I would try to make everybody laugh alongside of my drinking. But the inevitable would end up happening. I would end up making myself the absolute ass of the group. Even though my the stories are probably legendary of JR's drinking prowess among these conferences. For example, I would wake up in a bike was in Oklahoma City and I would w- woke up in a bush and the waking up in the bush story everybody wants me to tell from time to time. And I will oblige, but I still woke up in a bush. It's not good to wake up in a bush. That conference that I used to go to, for the record, the people that ran it, after I had done that a couple of years in a row, absolutely made a debacle out of the conference by letting my drinking and my funny persona stupidity take lead and charge, actually changed the way that they did business because a guy like me thought it was necessary to go to these conferences and just do nothing but drink and try to make everybody laugh. So my ego and my persona that led in front of me was actually lying to me the whole time. 
<laughs> and I'd perfectly take responsibility for all my actions, of course. You don't just simply go, oh, my ego made me do it or my persona made me do it. It was absolutely me 100%, just not realizing who the hell I am. But I tell you that story about me to let you know that something inside of me thought that that was okay. Now, once you get away from the drinking problem and you get into the idea of funny drunk guy, you get into this total construct that I just, that's how I thought I could belong. That's how I thought you would love me. That's how I thought I would, I would, I would make a dent. But I didn't end up making a dent. I ended up making an ass of myself. And, and uh, again, you know, it, it, the stories, although I, I will tell them, um, I'm not too proud of that time in my life. But I tell you that because that was a part of me. And there's other persona aspects a part of me. And there's other egoic things inside of me that have the same type of BS um, as I figured myself out over the time. And I've only done that for the record as a result of my spiritual formation, as a result of a real intense look at what's going on inside of me and a real understanding that love guides the way, compassion guides the way, forgiveness guides the way, and grace is that road on which we walk. So uh, all that to say, I want you to kind of test out your own persona and your own egoic structures, and I'm going to give you a few things to do. So what will the ego do or have? What will the ego do or have? The ego survives on finding fault, not only with you, but here's the ironic thing, not only with you, but also with others. So the ego will find fault with you and find fault with others. The ego will always want to create opposition. The ego will always want to survive in finding fault mode. So, you know, one of the, one of the things in, in, you know, as I teach out the ego and as, as we do this, like I always ask, like, where do you find fault? Who do you find fault with? Where, where do you start to, to really uh, build the mountain of opposition in and where? And there's an easy place to go is politics, man. Like we can find the ego alive and well, sitting right square in the middle of the Democrats and the Republicans as they find fault with one another. Never able to concede even to a good idea, right? Even to a good idea, the ego cannot go in on it. The ego will not create. You will never find life inside the ego. You will never find life inside the idea that the, of, a, of a false persona. You will only find this idea of spinning yarn, right? Spinning a false narrative. So the ego will never create. I don't care who the hell you are. The ego is not going to create, not going to create life. The mystery of God, the mystery of the divine will kill the ego because the ego very often is looking for certainty. The ego is looking for certain places to stand and plant a flag right? Always finding fault. I need certainty. What's right? What's wrong? What's up? What's down? And the mystery of the divine will kill it. When I entered into the idea that it was ollie ollie oxen free in my spiritual conditioning, right? That I really truly started to understand that the ego was not a thing because I started to belong to everything and God started to belong to everything. And then all of a sudden I belonged to God. And as I belonged to God, I did belong to everything. And the ego kind of shredded itself at that point. I say poverty of spirit is freedom from ego. Poverty of spirit is freedom from ego. In other words, when you start to really value yourself and value what's inside of you spiritually, when you start to really value that and you start to understand, man, there's things to learn about yourself, that'll be freedom from ego. Because again, as ego tries to find fault, tries to find certainty, plants a flag in that, it tells you you got it. You don't need anything else. But as you move spiritually, as you move into the spirit, you're very much going to find a humility. You're going to find a humbleness, 
again, a connectivity to everything, which is not going to make you such a giant a-hole all the time when it comes to your ego and or your persona and where you want opposition to be or not be. Duality serves the ego, not faith. So duality, again, that idea that right, wrong, up, down, left, right, that duality will serve the ego and it will look for the ego and invite the ego in. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Christian? Are you an atheist? Are you a Muslim? Do you believe in abortion? Do you not believe in abortion? Like, man, there, it, it just goes on and on and on. So you got to know that that duality will not serve the faith, but it will serve your ego. Your ego will never satisfy your desire to be loved. So deep in you, man, there is this thing, man, to be loved. That's all there is to it. That's a bass line, a bass note. It's a drum beat in your heart to be loved. And that, and, and you can squarely plug into that in the divine. Don't plug into it in people, places, and things because people are never ultimately going to satisfy you. They're going to let you down. P places and things will burn. <laughs> so we were plugging into the divine. We're plugging into the divine. Your ego will never satisfy your desire to be loved. But your ego will tell you that. Your ego will tell you to get this, to get that, to do this, to look like this, to smell like this, to be with that person, to go that place, to drive that kind of car. It will never satisfy that internal clockwork drumbeat that says you be loved. Living apart from your ego produces freedom from self. Living apart from your ego produces freedom from yourself and the minds of others. As you start to separate yourself from your ego, your persona, you're going to take yourself out of the minds of others. In other words, you're not going to give a damn about what people think so much. That will be a constant drumbeat for the record. And for those of you who tell me that I don't care about what people think, you're a liar. You do. I get it. It's okay. That's part of the ego that says that. We care very, very much. But as you live apart from your ego, as you find practical space to move away from ego and persona, in other words, move into authenticity and vulnerability, expose yourself to fears you have, the sorrows you have, the sadness that you have, that's the practicality. You literally will remove yourself not only from self, right, but also the minds of others. Spiritual transformation is the death of the ego ultimately. Spiritual transformation is the death of the ego. And when I talk about spiritual transformation or spiritual formation, I'm literally talking about you listening to your heart, the value of your soul, the value of your heart, what's going on deep inside of you. What do you truly want? What do you truly desire? Right? How do you move in love? How are you moving in love? That's what I'm talking about. So that transformation is the death of ego. As you start on that journey, you are, you are literally choking out ego and you're choking out all the false sense of persona. Uh, one more because we're going to do a part two on this. Uh, so the death of ego. You are made aware of it. When you are made aware of your ego, and again, this is your work, not my work, and I'm just teaching it out. It says that begins its death, but you must exercise its departure. You must exercise and be willing to exercise its departure. So you're willingly exposing the ego, which is key, right? So you're looking for things to willingly expose expose the ego. And I, I tell people all the time, that's spiritual direction. That's a daily inventory. That's study, curiosity into study and spiritual practice. I'll go through it again. The death of the ego is you being made aware of it. So as you go through this podcast and you come off this podcast, because we're about to shut this thing down in a couple seconds, I want you to spend a little time with yourself and understand you got to be willing to expose this thing. You got to be willing to expose the way you perform for people that may not that may not necessarily be the truth. You got to expose that shit. 
You know, are you dying underneath the smile that you're giving everybody? Are you dying underneath the drinking or the drugging? Are you dying underneath the trying to be funny for everybody? Are you dying trying to be the smartest person in the room? Are you dying constantly performing this, that, or the other thing in your life? Like, if you are, I want you to expose that. And then I want you to go talk to somebody about it. And in my world, it's spiritual direction. So if you don't have a spiritual director right now, I'm your guy. So you can call me. The number's on the website, the whole nine yards. And then there's a daily inventory I want you to take. And your daily inventory looks like, hey, man, where have I gone off the track inside of that performance, inside of that I'm trying to prove to you who the hell I am? Or the ego of, of being autonomous enough, like I don't need your help and keeping everything inside. What aren't you telling people? How's that? How about that for practicality? What aren't you telling people? What do you keep inside? And I'm not talking about maybe the secrets you have. I'm just talking about what you don't think is necessary to tell people. For the longest time, I didn't think sharing my fears was necessary. But it is 100% an ego killer if I decide to share my fear. Study. So for most of you out there who have a curiosity, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast, there's got to be something curious going on inside of you. It's like I want you to find a book. I want you to find a podcast. I want you to find some music. I want you to find a poem. I want you to find a meditation, an app that helps drill inside of you just a little bit more, a little bit more into that exposure and that willingness to be exposed. And then uh, spiritual practice. Do you pray? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Do you do do you do something in your life where you're moving into spirit? Again, deep, the deep is deep, man. What what's going on inside of you? Are you you are do, do you have a practice? Do you have some practicality in your life where you're moving inside of you? For some of you driving to work, like if you're driving right now, it could be turn this podcast off and just let silence hit you. Let the stillness hit you. Be able to come in and out of your mind whenever you want. Wander through your mind. That's a spiritual practice. So that's the death of ego. So that, so We'll do a part two on this because when we come back uh, next week, we'll do, uh, we'll do a few more things on this. But I just want you to know, ego and persona, real. Ego and persona will, will affect the way you are, where you are living out your peace. In other words, if you're chaotic, you're, you're not peaceful, and you're living in fear, and you're constantly in worry and anxiety, I'm telling you right now, your persona and your ego are probably lit on fire, and you're in a performance mode of operation. All right? And that's a thing. And I want you to be able to recognize that and take that into consciousness and awareness as the end of this podcast. Turn this bad boy off and really start thinking for the way that you perform. All right, good people. Uh, I am JR Man. I'm a spiritual director. If you need me, the number in the, in, the, in the digits are on the website. I love you so much. I can't thank you enough for being a part of my passion. Uh, for those of you in Northeast Ohio, we're coming mid-summer. Uh, for those of you in uh, Southern California, we'll have a party. I'm telling you right now, and we'll be back. And you don't have to worry about that, I promise you. Uh, part two of uh, Ego Shenanigans next week. Uh, I love you. We'll see you.